Hi, you're listening to episode 14 of Don't Be Strangers, a series of collaborative conversations on creating meaningful connections and finding agency in your life. My name's Shinyi, and anyone of any background can apply to come on to co-host an episode. So if you're into community building or love digging into topics deeply, this is my invitation to you to consider applying. Or if you're not ready to record a podcast, we also have a pen pals club, which you can learn more on our Instagram page at Don't Be Strangers. There, you can personally connect with like-minded students of life and potentially even personally meet past co-hosts of the show. Today, I'm speaking with my creative chimera friend, Rachel, who I met through the wonders of Instagram. I remember I was asking a stranger on Instagram who were some of her favorite artistic inspirations, and she mentioned Rachel's art account. That's how we connected and planted the seed of a very special and wholesome friendship. Rachel's always sending me good news articles supporting the cause of this podcast, such as studies showing the positive side effects of speaking with strangers and quietly supporting on the sidelines. So I truly didn't expect it when I received a co-host application from her, but I'm sure glad she applied. In this conversation, we dig into one, what drives us to create, two, recent moments of sweetness and joy, three, Rachel's struggle with social media, four, our grocery run strategies, and five, our tips on how to build connections when starting over in a new stage of our life. With that, I present to you, Rachel. Uh, I'm Rachel. I'm a university guidance counselor in Vancouver, Canada, where I was born and raised. Um, I've traveled around the world a lot. I've lived and worked in Los Angeles, in Cambridge, England, in Hokkaido, Japan, but I'm excited to be back in the Pacific Northwest and talking to you, Shinyi. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm so glad that you applied, honestly. I was like very <laughs> delighted when I saw the application. I was like, Rachel, really? Yeah. And I'm also so happy to get to like catch up because it, it's been like over a month, you know, I think. Um, good month overall. I would describe it as heartwarming, I think, because before I left school for the winter break, uh, there were some nice students who um, expressed their appreciation and gave me presents and cute cards and said nice things. And yeah, that made me feel good about what I'm doing in my work. And also I had some time to relax and spend time with family and work on a few more paintings and fun textile projects. I started knitting again. I knitted a hat in two days. I did some more embroidery. You had a really productive <laughs> like winter break. <laughs> Without intending to, yeah. I didn't want to go into it with the mindset of being, oh, I got to be productive every single day, but it kind of ended up happening. So speaking of creativity, uh, as a creative chimera, to what can you attribute your desire to make so many different things? I thought that this was a pretty interesting question, but I think, especially since you gave me your example for why why uh, this intrigues you. Actually, do you mind giving context for why you asked this question? Sure, yeah. I think it occurred to me first when I was making my photo books when I came back from Japan for the first time. So I did the JET program in 2014 to 2016, which is a government-run program that sends people from different, usually English-speaking countries, to Japan to teach English, starting for a year contract, and you can extend that if you like. So I spent two years in Hokkaido, took a bunch of pictures. And when I came back, I thought, oh, I want to concretize this experience somehow, because I feel like if it just lives in my memory or on my phone, then it won't feel, well, I won't be able to share it, first of all. Like it won't make sense to anyone but me, like what I was feeling and thinking. So to share more of my vision of Japan at the time, I think that's what inspired me to make those books, which is unusual for me because it was a different mode of expression from something like digital painting or photography or just straight up a visual art piece by itself. It was a whole book of layouts and different experiences that people could flip through at their own pace. So making more stuff like that inspired me. And I think that's why I'm more of a creative chimera today is because of those books. And what motivated you to, I mean, I guess you kind of explained it, it was just this idea that if you if it lives on your phone or in your memories and there's not like a good way to share it. So your motivation is primarily sharing your experiences. Yeah, because I know that if I die, then it will only live in my head and no one else can ever experience it again. But if I put it outside of myself on the page or on a painting or a photo or something else, so the, the memento mori idea, remember you will die, um, always comes back to me which maybe sounds a bit morbid, but it's more of a driving force for me now. Yeah, I think my motivation is really um, the reason why I 
love the idea of exploring so many different mediums in terms of creative expression is truly driven by my curiosity for learning about for learning primarily for learning mm-hmm. um are you familiar with the enneagram uh, personality test and have you taken <laughs> the enneagram a bit yeah i tried them for your uh, life vision book uh, did you figure out what your type was yeah it told me primarily three which is driven and achievement oriented mm. how about you i identified as type five which is the one that's I believe that the personality type is described as the the person who would be standing at the back of a party just observing everyone because they're driven by learning and the Mm. pursuit of knowledge. I remember when I was exploring the Enneagram, and for the listeners who don't really have context for what the Enneagram is, it's just another one of those personality typing (laughs) frameworks. But what I find really unique about the Enneagram versus other existing personality frameworks out there is that they ask you the true hardcore believers uh, say that you actually self-identify so you don't formally take like a quiz anywhere you just read all the descriptions and you identify as one of them and then after you've identified you can either wing in a certain direction so whatever if all the numbers are lined up in a circle so one through nine you can and you identify as a three you can wing towards a two or wing towards a four so your other um so you have like a type Mm -hmm. and then like a subtype and then what i find very interesting about this model is that they also say that you are that type for life which a lot of initial reaction could be like well but people will change how can you be one particular thing for the entirety of your life Mm. um and it's because it's set up like just imagine a dream catcher with all the numbers on the exterior all these lines connecting the in the middle you as a type three have like a growth line and a regression line pointing towards other numbers so what that means is that when you're in your growth stage in your life you're going to be a type three with all the best qualities of another type but then Mm -hmm. if you're in like a regressive state um then you'll be your type three but like leaning towards all the worst qualities of whatever the regression Mm -hmm. line is wow i got pretty drilled (laughs) i think i'm really passionate about an enneagram because i think it was the first framework i found where i could find really solid takeaway actions because it it does have this focus on like your regressive and like growth states so you can read all the worst versions of yourself and all the best versions of yourself and really correct for it their actionable items are like Mm -hmm. this is how you can avoid falling into the, these regressive states. All that to give context for when I was doing my type five, I was I couldn't figure out if I was actually a type five or a type four because the type four is that like super creative, emotional, expressive type, and I was like I have no idea if I'm like super artsy and emotional with type four and or like really learned and more erudite um, for type five and my sister came back to me and was like I think you're actually a type five wing four as opposed to like a wing uh type four wing five because mm-hmm. you create art from a knowledge seeking perspective rather than from an, eno- an emotional standpoint and when mm-hmm. she said that I actually was kind of shook like I took a step back and I thought you're right when I create art Yeah, sometimes it's driven by emotions, but it's not primarily driven by emotions. I say I'm a creative chimera because when I create art, it's primarily driven by exploration and practice of techniques. And Mm -hmm. I love mixing mediums because I'm thinking, what can I learn from this? What new skill sets can I learn from this? How can this challenge me more than I feel extremely elated? How can I express this and share my bliss you know at my core I'm driven by seeking knowledge I think that's why I'm a creative chimera oh yeah that makes total sense I really like that you and it's good that you're you're focused on the process then rather than the product right although having a nice product is also very rewarding (laughs) (laughs) I think this kind of ties into the things that you had already mentioned about your review on December but I would love for you to elaborate or add to it if you have more to speak on this but can Mm -hmm. you describe some moments of sweetness in your life lately I thought about what you meant by sweetness and I think for me it comes down to like that feeling of warmth and yeah, heartwarming moments and moments where I feel like calm and the best version of myself. So with that in mind, I was thinking about um, mainly 
small moments with my boyfriend, you know, and in the morning if he comes over and we just have a breakfast together and I make the same thing I always do, which is usually scrambled eggs and he likes them really creamy. So it's the kind where you're constantly stirring the scrambled eggs and having them on a really low heat. So it becomes this sort of um, almost mashed potato like mush. <laughs> which doesn't sound appetizing maybe when you're talking about eggs instead of mashed potatoes but it's the way they do it in japan too and it's it's pretty good is that what you learned it from the technique to make it like that in japan or no i learned it from him but oh <laughs> but i had had it that way before in japan and i'm like oh yeah yeah this is nice for a different chain from the harder ones right hard scrambled mm -hmm. eggs um and then um yeah so i make the scrambled eggs and i make the oats and we do like the overnight oats in the fridge. So you put it with usually non-dairy milk for me, um, steel cut oats, maybe some chia seeds, and then take it out, put some frozen berries on top, um, um, maybe some turmeric and like healthy spices. So yeah, eggs and oats, just eggs and oats. And we eat together and smile at each other and <laughs> just have a quiet morning waking up together. Oh, that sounds really sweet indeed. Was yeah. that the only example you had or did you think of anything else? Um, just being able to hug my parents lately, I think has been really sweet and just express to them how much I appreciate them and love them because I'm sure I did that growing up. But, you know, the older you get, the more you appreciate how much your parents have done for you and how much they sacrificed. And when you get older, like we're in our you know, 30 is almost 30 for me. So I've, I have more perspective on the years and how long a year is and how many years they had to raise me. <laughs> so like dedicating, you know, 17, 18 years of their life to, you know, responding to my every need is not a small thing. So I try to tell them I love them every day now. Remind me if you're an only child. Yeah, so I'm really close with my parents and I've been really, yeah, I feel really lucky and grateful for them that they were there for me. And um, yeah, at some point I considered them my best friends, like going through high school. Oh. <laughs> Not that I have best friends, like I didn't, I chafe against the term best friends um, for a long time because I thought, oh, I have a group of people and I go to different people for different things, right? Like this friend is the, the funny friend and this friend is the friend I might confide more. Um, intimate things with. I'm actually really surprised given this context um, that you're the only child that your parents really empowered you to, well, actually, I guess I don't have that context, so I shouldn't presume, <laughs> but the fact that you were able to go like travel and work in all these different places, I would feel like as, I don't know, I would assume that parents of only childs would be more protective because it's their only child <laughs> um so I'm really surprised that you had like all these opportunities that's true yeah I think it's because they trusted me and they gave me those opportunities that I was able to then settle as an adult back in Vancouver and you know buy my car and my house here my condo not a whole house can't do that in Vancouver <laughs> but um yeah I think they trusted me and they didn't know that I would necessarily ever come back to Vancouver. You know, when I was living in Japan, I there was a part of me that thought, oh, I might settle here instead. Like, this is a great way to live. There's convenience stores everywhere. Everyone's nice to me. I can speak the language. But then I went to Cambridge and I thought, oh, after my master's, maybe I could settle here. You know, there's a Cambridge University Press. Maybe they could hire me. Um, they didn't in the end, but that's fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I just ended up back here and um, I, I realized more as an adult, a, a nice place Vancouver can be. There's, there's nature. And of course there's family, family comes first. And I thought that it would be enough to, you know, live through video chats with them. And a lot of people can do that and have to do that, but it's really nice having them just a 15 minute drive away as well. And we, you know, we exchange groceries, we exchange, you know, clothes and winter coats and boots and stuff with my mom. Cause we're pretty much the same size and things like that. It, it feels like I'm still coexisting with them, even if we're not under the same exact roof. 
I think that proximity helps a lot. Yeah. Like being able to do communal things like sharing clothes and food and groceries. Yeah. Wait, so this brings yeah. up another question. It sounded like for Cambridge, it was because you didn't get hired and therefore maybe that was a driving decision for why you moved away. But for Japan, having considered that you could potentially live there, why did you leave? The timeline was that I worked there on the JET program 2014 to 16. And then I was thinking about extending the contract, but then I was accepted to the master's at Cambridge, since that's the only one I applied to. And if I hadn't gotten it, I would have done another year in Japan. But then I thought, oh, do I return to Japan after this? Like there was a different, similar job opportunity at an English school, but um, it would have involved like pretty much being the only English teacher at this emergent like startup school in Sapporo. And I wanted to live in Sapporo, but it would have been a lot of pressure on me to do it that way. And it also wouldn't have paid as well as JET. So salary wise, it would have been a step down because it's hard to be anything other than an English teacher or someone working for an expat company in Japan as a non-Japanese citizen. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, what's something big or small that brings pleasure to your life right now? Oh, yeah. Um, one of them, which I think this ties so well to the fact that we were talking about the, that it's like dreary and gloomy and gray outside right now is that mm -hmm. sunlight usually brings me a lot of um, sweetness and energy. Mm -hmm. I think I'm actually a plant on legs. I feel like sometimes it's very ridiculous how much the opacity is it is that the word I'm looking for? how bright the sky is actually affects my mood. There's this point in my life where when I was much younger and I would wake up and I could see through the curtains that the light outside was not 100% at the hour that I was waking. And I would think to myself, it's not worth getting up today. <laughs> oh no. Because I could just tell from like the shade of light that was coming through my window blinds. I was like, it's not a hundred percent sunlight today. So yeah, I would say sunlight is something that Fortunately, unfortunately, I hinge a lot of happiness upon, but at, at the very least, I have awareness of this, so I can kind of curb for it when there's less sunlight and I need to um, still feel energetic. And then another one that I thought of, this idea of like connection and also similarly and tangentially this idea of hope um i had this conversation i think with abhas actually mm -hmm. um, lately about this idea of like why why are we so drawn to daily vlogs why do we care about these strangers lives that we don't mm -hmm. really know but mm -hmm. if they share a a picture a photo still of like their coffee for example why do we still why do we still enjoy something as simple as that and i think part of it has to do with this idea of hope that this person living their normal life can appreciate their coffee to the point that they want to capture it and then share it that when we see it it kind of makes us think whether consciously or subconsciously, that despite that their life is so normal and simple, yet they can still enjoy it, there's the potential for us to also enjoy a normal life. Mm -hmm. That's a lovely thought. Yeah. I think also part of it for me is the aspirational aspect of it. Like, oh, this person's, the way they've curated their life looks like something I might want to do as well. Like, maybe the kind of mug they choose or, you know, the kind of music they put on the video or the filters, they make it look so appealing. And yeah, it is glamorizing everyday life in that way. But it also makes it, as you say, more, it makes you appreciate it more for what it is and just simple things. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that front, because I feel like there has been or I've heard of some pretty negative perspective on this idea of like glamorizing your your life through how you share it and such but I don't think that it's a bad thing because it means it shows us the power of framing and like reframing things and so this is starting to get like kind of deep but like <laughs> this is a simple idea of like oh I'm gonna share my breakfast but then I'm going to filter it I'm gonna take a picture of it um to appreciate it then I'm gonna filter it then I'm gonna you know plate 
everything, et cetera, et cetera. Like all the the full production, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think is very symbolic of of our ability to reframe things, situations too in our mind. So here it is, like the physicality of, you know, organizing and beautifying your breakfast um, to share. But you can do that with anything else too, your memories, your past, like maybe you're falling out with past friends. You could also take the same idea and like kind of reframe it in your mind mm-hmm. and be like, even though that happened, I'm who I am now because this happened. I don't know if that was too like far mm-hmm. out, but <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I can I can totally see like the glamorization of those everyday experiences like Instagram coffees as a metaphor for yeah, reframing your memories and becoming more optimistic about your life in retrospect. And yeah, that, mm. that is a, a good and positive way of looking at it. Because to be honest, I've gotten a bit down on social media in the last few weeks. And I guess that was part of December, like trying to moderate the amount of time I spend on it and thinking, oh, what am I scrolling through all these posts for? What's the point? Um, and I've, to some extent, I've chosen those posts, but also Instagram is throwing more and more ads and suggested um posts at me in the middle of the feed so it's like am I even following this person I don't know anymore how did they get here (laughs) Instagram's (laughs) algorithm just decided I should see this but there's that aspect of wasting time I think Um, maybe it's not it's serving some purpose but also like the amount of time it makes to it takes to make a post and that can be exhausting too and just doing that curation process is time consuming and exhausting in itself because maybe you have the coffee for five minutes but making the post takes half an hour right (laughs) yeah (laughs) so I've I've been struggling to reconcile that with the with the idea that yeah more optimistically as you say it's serving a purpose in concretizing that memory yeah and I think I've I've done that with my photo books too like I didn't obviously include all the struggles that I had in Japan like some days were hard they are anywhere you go but it's just a bit of a fantasy travel experience through those books yeah I think it's really interesting that you uh, mentioned that you edited out all the struggles in the books because I used to do YouTube like travel vlogs and in a similar way you don't put in like the five-hour greyhound or whatever bus ride um, from point a to point b because there's quote-unquote nothing interesting to be shared in that and so you're only showing the highlights and yet at the same time I think well when I remember this trip it's not like I want to remember the the five-hour commute anyways either like what's important was like the meal I had with a friend when I finally reached the destination and and through the process of I would imagine you creating your book and me like editing my travel vlog and deliberately choosing what we recorded when we recorded it, right? Like the photographs or like the, the camera stills. And then again, becoming even more specific when we like look at the collection of photos that we have and then we choose from that collection too. We are becoming like more deliberate about what we concretize as you were saying like in our memory like this is actually important and like not to not to put down like the struggles which were also very valid in part of our experience but it's just like yes we struggled through that but this is what I want to remember like because of my my really crappy five-hour ride I got to celebrate you know, my meal with my friend at the destination. This is like, I want to highlight the victory so that almost in the future, you know, I can do it again. Like why? Because I know, and I've highlighted that the result was worth it. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it is for you ultimately, even if other people see the vlog, the, the, the process and the product are more for you in the end. Yeah. Because one criticism of social media, right. Is that it is this, fantasy world where everything is curated and it's not people's real lives and should people share everything about their life and I guess the answer is no because one we don't owe that to other people ever Um, we don't owe everyone the details of our private experience and two as you say you don't always want to remember all the details or you don't want to focus on them anyway you can be like oh this thing taught me something but I'll just keep that to myself and I'll share the nice thing 
that came out of it. Do you mind sharing more about your struggle with um, social media? Because I felt like over the past couple of months, I, we had loose conversations around it. So I've, I've kind of seen the way that if it's affected you very loosely through these conversations, Mm -hmm. but how did it start? Like when you started considering or thinking about whatever you've been thinking about (laughs) in regards to social media? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. I haven't zoomed out and thought of it as a whole because it's I kind of experience it like one day I'm annoyed with how much time I wasted going through the feed and another day I'm thinking oh do I have to make this post do I have to you know uh, advertise my thing again Um, like my calendar that I recently made right I was so reluctant to make another post about it but Ed told me oh you've only posted it once right like people won't mind if you post again and I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess. But it's just such a pain <laughs> to make another <laughs> fresh post. Um, but, yeah, I think with Instagram specifically, which is what I think I spend the most time on these days, I don't have a Twitter. Um, I deactivated the user part of my Facebook and I just use the messenger. But with Instagram, I think it goes back to a few years ago when they started making more changes to the algorithm. For example, showing us things not in chronological order anymore, right? It used to be that you just see everything from everyone and get to the bottom of the feed and maybe you'd recognize like posts from previously. It wouldn't say, oh, hey, here's the bottom of the feed. But now it does things like that. It, It doesn't show you every single post from everyone you follow, which is problematic too because then I'll miss things and I won't even realize from my friends or maybe I know on the inside I want to see posts from certain people but Instagram doesn't think to show me. So things like that happen and just the way the system is set up and for the reasons I described earlier, like, is it real? Is it authentic to me? Am I showing what I want to? Um, Is it taking too much time out of my day to show what I want to and keep up with everyone? Questions like that would um, get at me, I think. So when we first started talking about it in the Creative Chimera group, I was saying that I felt obligated to post And part of that was probably because I was making things and I wanted to share them with people, but I also felt that it was, yeah, more more energy to, like, as we were talking about, filter the thing and talk about the thing in the (laughs) caption and then (laughs) post the thing than it was to actually make the thing in the first place. So that that feels exhausting after you've already made the thing and, and you understand it within your mind, but you don't want to bother conveying that always. (laughs) right maybe that's where it's coming from so yeah and I think at the time you and a few other folks like Ash were saying that um you don't need to make it such a big deal the post you can just make it on your story first and then um, post that in your feed it doesn't have to be the other way around where the post is like this perfect little square right yeah Yeah. so I have been trying to be less precious about it when I post but I'm also posting less overall because I find even after I post you know you're always refreshing for the likes right? even if I tell myself I don't care about the likes we all kind of do right there's that dopamine hit so in order to avoid that whole like cycle of oh should I make the post should I not make the post should I look and see the likes for like half an hour after I post the post right right (laughs) yeah 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 does that make sense yeah do you have um and do you think since um, you started recognizing the problem. You've made any progress mentally with this. You did mention that you've tried to care less about perfectionism in terms of creating the post and and or even the taking trying to take off the pressure of needing to create a post in the first place. Um, but has there been any other progress? Or yeah, what are your thoughts on your journey with this? Yeah, I think overall I'm able to think about Instagram less, which is a win for me. In general, I find the less time I spend on screens and the more time I spend, you know, looking out the window and connecting with other people in person is ideal. Um, this is great, too, of course, because <laughs> I'm seeing your face and we're we're talking face to face in real time. But like asynchronous texts and things like that, I'm trying to get away from. Um, so I think, yeah, I wouldn't say it's a New Year's resolution, but an intention for this year is to yeah care less about social media and stuff like that because I think the caring and the the making it a thing making it serious and you know this this gigantic um obligation in my mind is what's causing a lot of the stress and anxiety around it 
Mm, yeah, that makes sense. Um, speaking of which, do you have New Year's resolutions, or mm. is that not really something that you think about or care about? Yeah, good question. I think I used to, and it's an admirable process. At the beginning of a new chapter in our lives, of course, we want to set intentions and goals, and you know, you can use the smart goals and say like, I want to do X thing in X amount of time, <laughs> things like that. But this year, again, I think it's more intentions. So I, I could say the screen thing, although I just came up with that now, to be honest. <laughs> now that we're talking about it, I'm like, oh yeah, this is the thing I should do. But also I had two mainly. One was to make more art. Like looking back on the last year, I was actually happy with how much different art I had made. I got into acrylic painting since first time since high school. Um, I got into knitting again. I started some embroidery kits that I bought from HomeSense on a whim and actually ended up really enjoying. So more of that stuff, but also more making time for just me because I'm quite bad at scheduling time for myself in a calendar. I'll schedule out my whole day, you know, filled with all the people I want to see and talk to, but I won't give myself that same amount of time ever. So I could very well like get through a whole weekday or week and, you know, have something planned almost every weekday night and then weekends as well. But I want to probably ahead of time, I should do this. I should just say like, oh, this will be art time or this will be, you know, bath time <laughs> or this will be like <laughs> watch TV and do an embroidery time. Mm, I love yeah. that. Yeah. What about you? I should definitely think about like actually blocking off my calendar for me time as well. Um, but I feel like overall, I've gone a lot better at not over dedicating myself to meeting with other people um, because interestingly enough, pre-pandemic, I... I would go into every weekend with just back-to-back one-on-one hangouts with friends. And then by Monday, when I started my work week, I was just so exhausted. So basically, I never had rest because I was either working or socializing. And yeah, it was it was actually terrible. And then the one of the best things that came out of the pandemic was that having that really stark contrast, like from seeing people every weekend to like not being able allowed to like see anyone essentially Mm -hmm. during like um the peak of lockdown that I was able to be liberated essentially to be forced into a situation where I got to see quote unquote the other side like what does it look like to have a full weekend to yourself that now coming more so out of it find myself balancing my schedule a lot more like one Mm -hmm. of them was extremely sociable but exhausting on me and then the other one a lot of me time um and I just need that balance so now Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm way better about spacing out my social life instead of being like, yeah, I can totally do five one-on-one hangouts in one day or something, you know? Speaking of uh, New Year's resolutions, I actually typically do new month resolutions. So New Year's are not like super special for me <laughs> because mm-hmm. I, I'm doing the new month already the for January. Mm-hmm. And my goals for January, I try to do one per like large group areas in my life. And I have four main areas. I think the one for creativity primarily is that I want to draw more three times a week. And I think it's really funny because as I think you have experienced through all our Creative Chimera Club meetings, I'm always like, I wish I was making more art. Like, I don't know how to dedicate more time for art and such. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Specifically drawing, because I do participate in other forms of art, I think, pretty Mm -hmm. regularly. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the reason why I want to do more illustration is that illustration was my first love, and I tie the idea of illustration to my childhood very strongly so when I think of myself not drawing I'm thinking I'm losing my connection to my childhood but not just my childhood but like my connection to youthfulness to playfulness and this idea that with illustration you can create anything that you want whereas like with photography even though there's if you wanted to you could get more surreal in the realms of like post-production and editing of course but like photography is to a certain degree grounded in reality um because you you know it's like from reality and then you can abstract that and like edit it into something unrealistic but Mm -hmm. with 
pen and paper, you can do anything. Yeah, one of my goals is to draw at least three times a week. I'm actually not might not be able to make that this week. It was like the first week of January. <laughs> um, that was like I. <laughs> So yeah, that's one of my big ones. And then the other big one is surrounding Don't Be Strangers, this podcast as a platform, my pen pals club, is I really want to figure out a great way to automate and really increase my efficiency in terms of my workflow for both of these parallel projects, because Mm -hmm. I'm hoping to start other projects soon, like starting February. Before I can take on more, I want to make sure that these are kind of, you know, um, under control so that Mm. I have the capacity to take out more. Yeah. That's exciting. Well, you've already done such a great job with this one and making, yeah, speaking of making Instagram posts, you make a lot (laughs) of cute little adorable designs and quotes and keeping it going by doing a lot of recordings behind the scenes clearly and being able to release so many episodes already. I think that's incredible. Oh, thank you so much. I think it's always really empowering to hear that sort of like positive feedback because I'm sure you understand this as like your creative yourself that like when you make your art, you think, yeah, like, of course, it's not special because like I'm already doing it. Like mm-hmm. I did the thing. It's like breathing or eating. Like what's special about this? Mm-hmm. And, then, and then an outsider has to like come in and be like, but not but not everyone can do this you know or like mm-hmm. not not everyone would like knit a hat in two days and you're like oh yeah I guess I guess not <laughs> like, yeah exactly <laughs> some people wouldn't even think of doing that I think of doing a podcast like this I think that um you you're talking about childhood and um your hashtag big kid energy right so maybe that segues into my other question for you what is your favorite childhood memory and why to be quite honest, I <laughs> I didn't I didn't really think on this one too much mm-hmm. because I feel like the the context is just too big. <laughs> like mm-hmm. like where does where does childhood end? And then um to have to like pick one as well is a quite uh Herculean task among <laughs> <laughs> like all the things. Um mm-hmm. Let's start with top three if that's easier. I I would say that like when I was a child, I was horribly in love with the night sky and just mm-hmm. celestial bodies. And I remember the books I would first that I ever first read were actually all nonfiction about outer space. <laughs> so and for the longest time, um, that's all I would ever read. And it took a huge effort from my mom to like pull me into more fictional and like and what actually made the switch was like some mystery novels like mystery kid novels but anyways um so one of my favorite memories as a child was at my friend's birthday party laying in her backyard on her trampoline um for like an overnight sleepover and just looking at the stars and marveling um Mm. at the grandness of the universe and sometimes I've tried to like recreate this feeling as an adult but I can't seem to quite recapture the sense of immense wonder and appreciation that I had as a child was like overwhelming like oh my god we're so small in like the greater greaterness of life I don't know what it is that I've like lost or something but mm. even though I logically understand you know it's the same logical reasoning um as an adult me looking at the stars I can't seem to achieve that same sense of like being overwhelmed almost like oh my god um so those are some of my favorite memories just being able to achieve that level of awe um Mm. and then some other ones probably just stupid things like um conversations I've had with my little sister just Mm. growing up just sisterly things and then a third one maybe just similar this is also very vague and non-specific but just the feeling anytime that you get um when you've accomplished a project like a passion project one that you've thought up yourself um that maybe um challenged you in some 
way in terms of skill sets or something, being able to overcome that and create what you envision and just feeling really proud of yourself. Um, so mm. I'm, I'm sure I've had moments like that as a child and I still do get moments like that now or maybe just summer vacation, you know, it's... <laughs> But you, you still get that, right? Like working in the school system and stuff, you still get all the, the vacations that the students get. Ah, uh, yes, this is true. And so I'm still on winter break for a couple more days. Yeah. This one's kind of like silly, but mm. what is your grocery store run strategy? Do you have one? <laughs> I loved this question because it is so interesting to hear how other people, going back to our earlier talk of people's routines and their, their little coffee and how they conduct their day and think of these things. And yeah, um, I actually really enjoy going to the grocery store. I used to love whenever I was traveling to go to different countries and cities, grocery stores and convenience stores. And it tells you a lot about the culture, right? Like seeing how much things cost and even what's available and what's not available versus other countries and the things that are like promoted and yeah, like even snacks. Snacks are fun. I was going to say, I love looking at the packaging. Maybe that's like the artist in me, but just seeing how other cultures market Mm -hmm. to the people you know like anyways please continue yeah that's true no like some some like especially in the snack aisle you might see like really goofy packaging for kids or like really colorful packaging that's so fun right but yeah um I think these days I honestly don't go to the grocery store that much maybe once a week because you know I live by myself currently and my boyfriend or my parents might come over for a meal sometimes but mostly I get by like making one meal prep dish for the week and then making maybe one in the middle of the week and like alternating those two things. <laughs> so I'm pretty, um, there's not much stuff in my fridge. Like right now there's just eggs and some sauce stuff and some pickles and that's all. <laughs> so I'm due for a shop myself, but they, don't, they say don't go grocery shopping when you're hungry. So I try to circumvent any temptation by bringing an immediate list on my phone. So I will have already thought, oh, what's the next meal I'm going to make? Um, what ingredients do I not have for that meal? Write those things down. Just get that and maybe some staples like bananas, eggs, um, almond milk, and get out of Dodge after that. <laughs> Yeah, but sometimes I will, like, if it's a different grocery store than I normally go to, I might spend a little more time browsing the aisles and get a fun snack or something I haven't seen elsewhere. Like, I went to yeah. Whole Foods for the first time in a while since one of my students kindly gave me a Whole Foods gift card. So I went to check it out. I wouldn't spend much money there otherwise, but they had these, like, parsnip chips, and they were raspberry chipotle flavored. Whoa, okay. Yeah, like, <laughs> my mind. but yeah, they're actually pretty good and spicy. Yeah, what about you? Yeah, I would say that when I regularly shop for groceries, it's more standardized. Um I would say that I think it's really interesting the fact that like you kind of go in with the approach of like having a recipe in mind already or like you know what you're gonna make and then you shop for that because mm -hmm. um, I remember when I was visiting one of my friends like she would think like what she wanted to eat that week and then build her grocery list off of that whereas mm -hmm. I'm pretty simple and I always just get more or less the same things every single mm -hmm. time it's just like I just hit up like the the vegetable area and then I get like my meats um um, and the variation from week to week would be like, oh, it's been a while since I've had, I don't know, kale or something, or it's been a while since I've had Brussels sprouts. <laughs> so I would kind of decide on the spot. Um, and I never really allow myself to kind of wander the the processed food aisles. <laughs> so like I, I try to stick in like the, the exteriors where it's like fresh fresh meats and vegetables um mm. but I remember years ago I would allow myself every week when I got groceries using the similar methodology that I would allow myself every time to buy something fun and experimental so that could be like mm -hmm. a an interesting snack or like a weird exotic chocolate or something like that mm -hmm. I totally resonate with what you said regarding visiting grocery shops in foreign countries like I always cook when I travel because I love the experience of like mm -hmm. seeing how they package how they even lay out the store because mm -hmm. 
I don't know. I feel like there's subtlety in that as well. I want to know, um, of course, the question I ask everyone: How do you define a stranger, and at what point do they transition from being one to not being one? So my first thought was: A stranger is someone I don't know nor have ever talked to, and when you get to the point of stranger to acquaintance or someone you're vaguely familiar with, it might include. You know, cashiers or neighbors I see in my hallway.、Um, if I see them more than once, they start to become somewhat familiar to me, and maybe a little less of a stranger. <laughs> It's definitely a, a continuum, and even the name "stranger," "acquaintance," "friend" don't quite encompass. I think there's still a wide range between stranger and acquaintance. Even I experience a minor but ongoing difficulty in reconciling between two ideas of strangers. Like there's stranger danger we were taught as kids,、right. <laughs> you know, those who might take advantage of me versus strangers who are harmless and well-meaning and like neutral to my existence.、Um, but as I grow, I think I'm trying to shift my default view towards the positive and believe the best in people and give them the benefit of the doubt. But Of course, in certain contexts, in certain parts of downtown, if I were alone at night, I wouldn't want to, you know, necessarily、um, interact with strangers the same way I would, you know, asking、um, a clerk in a grocery store where the pasta is, for example. Yeah. Right. Hmm. I think that I would love to explore the idea of this like spectrum that you were mentioning and. Between stranger and acquaintance,、um, and you may not have like thought about this very much when you brought that up, but like feel free to kind of think about think about it out loud,、um, it, because like what you mentioned in terms of seeing one of your neighbors in your hallway one time, you wouldn't necessarily even know if they lived in the building. Like, are they actually your neighbor or just a friend of your neighbor visiting? Your neighbor,、um, but then if you see them twice, it kind of they become l- less of a stranger just through that recognition. But it's only been like two times, and you never haven't necessarily even spoken to them. You've just seen them in the hallways or something. But how would you structure this like spectrum <laughs> between stranger and acquaintance? Yeah, maybe we do need to add some more terms like. Familiar person, <laughs> familiar unfamiliar person. Yeah, stranger, unfamiliar person, familiar person. Then maybe the maybe the next one is like their relation to you, like like I said, like the cashier or the neighbor or、um, the person you run into on your morning run. If you do that, how would you get to the point that? You are an acquaintance, or what? How would you d- define an acquaintance then? The bare minimum, I probably know their name and their face, and they are someone I'd be likely to run into again. Because I guess with an acquaintance, for me, it could be like even someone at school who I don't see every day, but I know their name and face, and I know we work in the same place, and I know what they do. <laughs> so it could be like that level, but like in the outside world as well. So something I've been trying to do since I moved into this building in June is to introduce myself to any neighbors I see in the elevator and say like, "Oh, I'm Rachel. I just moved in. What's your name? And how do you like living here?" And that's been nice. So I try then when I get home to write down like description of what they look like and their name. And if they told me which unit they live in, I would write that down too. <laughs> I don't always remember to, but when I do that, I think that makes. People in the building seem more familiar and more like acquaintances and neighbors than strangers. Ooh, I really love that because I feel like that's so rare. I feel like it's so rare for even people living in the same like apartment complex to know their neighbors, which is kind of crazy. Thinking about in comparison to I don't know neighborhood culture. <laughs> Just like、um, in the past, historically speaking, where you would know everyone in your neighborhood more or less, but now it's so easy to exist without having that. And so I think what you're doing is really special, especially since I also know another friend living in an apartment complex, and she. Knew all of her neighbors because they all own dogs, so they all went to like the dog park, like and and I thought to myself, oh, okay, well that's like a great way to get to know your neighbors because when you bring your dog to the dog park, you're just gonna be hanging out. So the the opportunity for you to meet reoccurring faces. 
because those were the people with dogs. <laughs> it's going to be really high. And then after a while, you're going to start feeling comfortable enough to speak to them, you know, even if it's not the first time, just through that, I feel like that re-exposure and fam like familiarity over time. Um, so I really applaud what you're doing because I feel like it takes more effort. Whereas like in her case, she's already going to be taking the dog to the dog park. <laughs> but for you, you're like, I don't need to talk to these people, but I'm going to like say hi anyways. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that point of connection is really nice. Well, for me, it's it's more awkward if I'm just in the elevator with someone I don't know, and we're just like quiet while it slowly goes up. You know? <laughs> I don't like that feeling either. So I'd rather say something, even if it's just like asking how their day's going. Um, but I was quite heartened when after I did this once when I was going to take out the garbage, I think, and then we went back up the elevator that the same floor introduced ourselves talked in the hallway a little bit. She'd been in this building since it opened, um, since it was finished building. She bought a unit. Um, and then another day on a Sunday, I was really busy making lunch for a friend at home. And then there's a knock on my door and it was her asking if I wanted to come over for tea. And I thought that was really lovely. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm in the middle of cooking lunch for my friend. Can we, I take a rain check? And I didn't actually get her phone number or anything but I just left a little note at her door <laughs> saying oh here's my phone number if you want to text and figure out another date and we did and it was great and I learned all kinds of things about her and her life and now that I actually yeah I'm on that level of familiarity with her I have her name her face her phone number we've had like <laughs> a couple hour-long conversations at this point and having even one neighbor in this building who I could perhaps rely on to, you know, check my mail or something if I went traveling one day um, is a really comforting thing. And it makes this building feel more like home. So I'm, I hope I can do that with more people this year. Oh, man, that is, that is super heartwarming to hear mm -hmm. for sure. And I was so really impressed by her just just coming over to knock and like ask you um, to not knowing if you would be in, like if you would be busy or anything. Because um, I feel like that uncertainty is enough of like a barrier to entry for most people to like even attempt something like that. So mm. that's really cool. Um, is she about your same age or is she like significantly older or? Oh, no, she's a grandmother. Oh, okay, okay. Really so I wonder... <laughs> So I almost wonder, too, if there is, like, a generational aspect of her being able to, like, do that, too. As we were talking, I was thinking, well, why does this happen? Why can even people in the same building feel so isolated? And I guess part of it is that we don't rely on our immediate community for, um, you know, support or communication anymore or um, yeah, mutual aid kinds of things have gone by the wayside. and. I guess, you know, people are more secular in Western society. Maybe not everyone goes to church for a local community or something like that. Um, we may, you know, have relatives abroad or in a different city. It's not hyper-localized like it used to be. Um, and also, maybe it is some element of the stranger danger and <laughs> not thinking that people near you could be worth getting to know. Or yeah. it, could be, it could be the awkwardness of thinking, oh, like, Maybe I'm the only one who thinks this way, but sometimes I think, oh, if, if they if they are there, therefore I should spend time with them and get to know them. Like there could be that weird separation, like, oh, just because they live next door, does that mean I should be spending a lot more time with them if I know them versus mm. not? What are some tips besides what you're already doing in terms of like trying to make small conversations in the elevator um, that we could think of to just share with like the greater community to mm. kind of bridge gaps I don't know oh, my mind's also mm. like turning now too like yeah. what can I do I always try like my strength as I've explained I think in in the episode with Abhas is making connections online so I'm more able it's easier for me to just like reach out um to strangers online because I find that my tolerance for reject for rejection online is a lot higher I find myself trying to meet local friends online first and then trying to get them to like do a coffee date meetup but um what you're what you're doing in your building is also just like convenient for proximity because you're 
if you're taking out the trash or if you're walking in the parking lot to like your apartment or condo like you're bound mm-hmm. to like run into potential like neighbors right so that makes mm-hmm. sense but is there anything else um that we can think of that would just be like easy things to do to make you feel less isolated have you ever read dale carnegie's how to win friends and influence people so I tried listening to the beginning of the audiobook, um, and then I couldn't do it anymore because, well, while he gave like great advice from like maybe the I don't even remember how far I got like maybe the first chapter or something, mm-hmm. sounded very common sense to me because mm-hmm. the the logic that I felt like I was getting if you smile at people and if you listen to people people will like you and I I just kept thinking like wait people aren't smiling at other people or listening to other people. Because when I was like thinking to myself, I was like, wait, this is common sense. (laughs) I couldn't, I couldn't get through it. But I mean, it is good. It is good advice. But I was like, Mm -hmm. I can't, I can't go keep going. Yeah. What what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, no, I asked because the main thing I took away from it and that I've taken through a lot of my life since my teenage years when my grandfather gave it to me was that you just ask questions because people love talking about themselves. And then if you have a conversation where the other person is doing most of the talking, they're going to come away feeling like, oh, that was a great conversation. <laughs> so that's that's been my modus operandi for most of my adult life. So just it's a lot easier for me to ask questions than to talk about myself. And I don't know if that's like a, a circular logic that it's that way because I already was that way or it is because that's how I'm doing it. But either way, um, yeah, I, I find it easy to come up with questions and listen to people and nod along. And um, I think that's that's one way in is to, yeah, like when I'm in the elevator, ask that question, how's your day going or, or what's your name? Um, and I think to taking care of ourselves so that when we go out into the world, we're in a positive mindset to be open to getting to know people because you know when you're upset about something and you're in your head then you probably don't feel like engaging with whoever's around you right whereas if you're already if your bucket is filled or whatever the metaphor is then (laughs) you probably are more optimistic and one way of filling your bucket and feeling good is talking to people actually you don't always feel like it in the moment but but yeah I think it becomes a positive cycle rather than a vicious cycle if you if you yeah open up and and talk to people and even if it's starting with you know texting your friend who you haven't talked to in a while if that's one way of starting that seems maybe low-hanging fruit for people if that's easier than going out into the world and making conversation with your um you know cashier at the grocery store right I don't yeah know I love that. Honestly, um, I think that's also my modus operandi is just to ask questions. Um, and if, and I'm just thinking if you're someone who would love to try this, but are not good at thinking of questions on the spot, for example, that maybe you could just come up with a list ahead of time um, and or just like Googling some general questions and just kind of having this I don't know, on your phone or, you know, just somewhere that you could reference easily. Um, Because I also loved your other point about the fact that having these conversations and having these connections, I believe that even if you're an introvert and you don't need a lot of social interaction to feel fulfilled, that as a human being, you need some amount of human interaction. I think it's coded into our genetics, like... Um, maybe you could feel fulfilled for an entire week if you just had a small interaction on a Monday, right? Whereas like an extrovert needs like 20 interactions a day (laughs) to feel fulfilled. Um, But just having these small conversations too. And one last thing that I want to point out that I think is extra funny is that I remember the first time that we had a call, (laughs) we talked, and because we both function as people who love listening and asking questions, I remember feeling really weird because you were able to like turn the conversation enough on me so that the conversation was more 50-50 in terms of like balanced conversation. And I remember thinking me like while I was speaking, like wow, this is so, I'm 
getting kind of uncomfortable how is she keeping me speaking I was like abort abort I need to think of something else like I heard the talk again did you have any like feelings like that or like what was yeah I remember about? thinking oh you ask really good questions too and yeah I'm doing a lot of talking yeah I, I definitely did think oh this is this is weird but great because I knew that you were so engaged and thoughtful and and curious about me too so having that feeling turned back on me for the first time in a while was actually really nice <laughs> full Amazing. circle yeah. <laughs> talk about coming full circle if you enjoyed this conversation please consider sharing it with a friend or two and potentially subscribing and leaving a review i just found out that you can also now rate podcasts on spotify so if you have two seconds to drop by the don't be strangers podcast page and tap your honest star rating that means the world to me And as always, the application for co-hosting can be found on the Instagram page, and I'd love to speak with you. Or at the very least, I'd love to write to you if you join our Pen Pals Club. All this and more can be found on at don'tbestrangers on Instagram. If you have any thoughts or feedback on today's episode, please feel free to write in over there. You can also find Rachel's art on Instagram at vibrantafternoon. Until next time, take care and don't be a stranger.